0: Welcome, Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters, to the Deeply Discussing Dexter podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hello. Dexter was a beloved show with a very disappointing finale. Our podcast sets out to find out what the warning signs were for how it went off the rails. I went through a similar process with the BBC Sherlock series. For me, that show started off promising but became very inane over time. By the time the most recent episodes aired, I was in complete revolt, but I was sure, certain, that the things had started to go wrong at some specific place. With the idea to script what I thought was wrong with the show into a video essay, I started rewatching Sherlock from the beginning. I took notes to try and pinpoint the first time it did something I didn't like. To my surprise, the answer was almost immediate. I found that what I really liked about Sherlock turned out to be the performances of Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. The writing was always a little off, and it just became more pronounced as the initial shine wore off. And so, with similar intention, we're setting off to find out if there are immediate problems rewatching all eight seasons of Dexter, or if we can point to a specific storyline, storylines, or episodes where things start to go off the rails. So to kick things off, I'd like to ask everyone to talk a little bit about their history with the show, Dexter, and what they thought of the first episode, now that it's been a few years since we've all seen it last. Guys?
1: Yeah, that's a good That's a good place to kind of uh, start with that, just because um, I feel like for me, uh, I didn't stick it all the way through, and it wasn't because I thought it was a bad show, and I think that's an interesting question to pose, because... Um, I never thought it was a bad show. And I think that, like, for me, there's, um... There's some really good stuff about it in terms of, like, the acting, um... And some of the plot points and the ideas that they're trying to come up with. Um... And I think it's going to be very interesting for me overall, just because... Uh... I will be watching it fully through for the first time, even though I've only seen a couple of seasons. Um... But, um... Yeah, like at the, at this point where I'm at, I would say that I don't feel like it was always a bad show, uh, because I'm I'm still enjoying parts of it. I'm still enjoying definitely like some of the character development and and some of the ideas behind it. And I guess too, like I like puzzles, and I and I think like sometimes with the sh- with some of these shows, especially like Dexter, it is a giant TV show puzzle that you're trying to figure out, but somebody else has already written. So, whether it's bad or good you're still pouring your, your brain power into it because you want to figure out the puzzle
0: right and for the record uh, you watched through season 3 uh, which is most people say that season 5 is kind of where it starts to go bad or at least they at least say that season 4 is, is good uh, or one of the better seasons um, so, I would, I mean, I would say that you, you haven't seen the worst of Dexter yet. You haven't seen a truly bad season or a truly bad episode yet. Um, season three has some bad moments in it, but, uh, you know, when you get to, like, six, uh, especially, and then the last couple episodes of eight are, you know, kind of undeniably... Terrible. (laughs) Uh,
2: Season season 8 is horrible. You know, I love the show. I've been a fan. I was a fan of the book series. Um, I didn't like it as much because it went a very different way. But I started watching the show because I liked Michael C. Hall. I was a big fan of Six Feet Under. And I was... I was completely captivated by his performance. Uh, season one, I didn't think was as good as season two and season four. I thought season three was a big misstep. Uh, but like, uh, like Dale said, season five is where it starts to take a turn for the worst. Um, it's going back and watching season one now the first episode was not near as good as I remembered it. Uh, It had a lot of... It was like a world building, almost. Yeah. It it was introducing this idea of a character before fully fleshing him out. Like, they didn't have an idea of where they wanted to go with him. And... Episode 2 takes it in a better direction... the first episode does uh, but i'm interested to see how going back and watching season one fully season two if i love it as much as i did
0: yeah
3: i watched the show from the beginning i was a huge fan i thought and then um, i had not watched it since i watched the entire thing first run and so when I rewatched the pilot uh, to prepare for the podcast, I really had to ask myself, why did I ever like the show? What did I find so appealing? Because that the pilot was not that good. I mean, I remember seeing it the first time and being like, this is going to be my show, this is so great. And no, it really isn't that good.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so let's talk about the first episode. Uh, we have uh, no... Uh, theme song because they hadn't finished making what would become an award winning uh, opening credit sequence for the show. The first thing they do, and I thought this is great this is a this is a good way to show the, you know, exactly what this show is about. The very first thing that happens on Dexter is Dexter stalks a guy and kills him. And this first guy is a choir director who has been um, abusing and killing little boys and burying them. So uh there's some things in this kill that are different from the other kills. Uh notably he doesn't use the M99 syringe to knock him out. He forces him to drive him around. And then he actually exhumes the bodies to show him rather than use pictures. And the first time I when I was rewatching that I was thinking now that's very different from, you know, Future seasons, Dexter, even later in this season, Dexter, um, where he's not using pictures, he's actually exhuming bodies or bringing victims into the room. But I think that was an effective way for the audience to immediately get that this guy has morals. This guy, he's doing terrible things, but he's. He's, he's a good person as well. He's doing these awful things, but look at how bad what this other guy did was. And so those bodies are there to shock us into being like, yeah, we want we want Dexter to kill this guy.
2: And I I agree with that assessment, because had he just used pictures and told us that this guy had murdered some boys, we have no reason to take him at face value at this point. We, we, he could be lying to us, and we would never know. So having the bodies there adds weight.
1: Yeah, there's definitely something about seeing is believing, and you know, uh, having proof is a big deal for Dexter. So you know that that's a that's a, like a, a great way to open it up, and and definitely get the um, the viewer on the side of. Who inevitably is the protagonist? I guess in a, in a way, um, you know. Even though he's doing these things, it's like for the greater good. But it's in a but it's in a dark. But it comes from a dark place. So giving us that sort of understanding. But like Aaron said too, um, the fact that you know. Uh, we have to we have to see like we can see this stuff like uh, we don't know to trust him or not yet and now by him going through the act of digging up these graves and, and 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 making the guy look at them and you know like just be aware of the fact that he knows like someone's caught him essentially this 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 choir director guy um, uh, and so like it's it's a great moment for the show to give the viewer something to be- believe in to trust.
3: You know, they're crafting this sympathetic serial killer, and they want the audience to follow him and to do that. You have to give some reason that we are sympathetic to Dexter and that we can root for him. And by creating, as you said, that instead of just the the picture, seeing the bodies, that's what kind of brings us in. And, you know, when justice fails, we can root for this guy to to take care of the problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The uh, choir director says a Hail Mary. Dexter says that never helped anybody. Um, and then he does one of the for for Dexter himself anyway, for the character anyway. Um, one of the gorier kills that we ever see in the show, where he just directly saws into the guy's neck, like he just starts cutting off his head while the guy's still alive and uh and on the table. It cuts away from that pretty quickly, but it does like show the blood like uh splash up onto his his face mask. And again, I think that's that's there to show you that you know this show's going to be violent. Um, these these kills aren't PG. It's it's a real mature theme show. Um, again, I think those are you know those are good uh, ways to kind of hook people into it and and kind of weed out people that aren't going to be able to handle uh, violence that comes along later. But also, I don't know that. I don't know that I think and and we'll get into this more cuz I I think it's more of a episode 2 topic but I don't feel like Dexter's a particularly violent show.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot that, about it that doesn't seem like it's ultra violent at least from my recollection and especially this episode um like it's not bloody is what I mean.
0: Like there's there's lots of people getting killed but there's not like blood and gore and
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could look at so a number much. of other shows that Showtime has done, or HBO has done, or Starz has done, that are much more violent and gore-filled, you know, in terms of blood and guts and that kind of stuff. Well, even, even it at
3: NBC. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's yeah. <laughs> Hannibal, which is the goriest TV show I think I've ever seen, and it was on NBC.
0: I agree. And it was rated TV-14 in the Well,
2: what was a three... Three, four seasons into Dexter, and they started taking the old episodes and putting them on CBS.
0: Yeah, they you ended know, them down to half an hour.
2: Y- yeah,
0: but I mean, like, but you, you, right, you don't have yeah. to do much to like. You basically have to censor Deb's voice. <laughs> yeah. and you can get it down to its that e- would be 14. tricky though. You
3: pretty much have to cut Deb completely out to cut out all use of the f bomb.
1: Uh, De- yeah. just cutting saying the word cut Deb out into talking about Dexter is like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a play on words yes.
2: going back to that initial scene um, shortly after that scene we're introduced to Dexter's slide collection so you know he's been at the killing for a while and it- it's interesting because the that scene is kind of about the entire show. The The show shows the growth of this character. And you see in this very first episode, his killing style is, is really rudimentary in comparison even to episode two. It's, it's like we're learning along with him.
0: Yeah. And that's a good... I mean, that's a good way to, to work with your audience, with your protagonist is that you don't know any, or the protagonist doesn't know more than you do necessarily about those things. Um, so next up, um, De- he has a answering machine message from Deb, um, to take him to the, uh, first ice truck killer crime scene. Uh, and we meet Deb for the first time. Uh, Dexter says, that's my foul mouth sister, Deborah. She has a big heart, but won't let anyone see it. Um, and I think that's an interesting... There's an interesting duality between those two characters where um, Deb is hiding her big heart and Dexter is hiding his big monster. Um, so they're both sort of... They're both hiding kind of opposite things from each other.
3: Yeah, he has to fake his empathy because he doesn't know how to feel empathy, and his whole persona is just this cover of the fact that he has no emotions, whereas Deb's entire persona is that she has so much empathy for every situation she encounters, but she can't let that show because it's perceived as a weakness. So yeah, very much a, a duality between the two.
0: Yeah, she's always got kind of a shield up of, you know, she, she talks like all the other all the other. Cops, especially all the male cops. Right. Dexter
1: calls that Um, out, too, in saying that, you know, people fake encounters all the time and, you know, like especially him. I mean, he fakes almost every single encounter he has with every person, even including Deb to some degree. And so, like you know, to know that he's not the only one in this show that's faking something is really important because it's it's also not necessarily just a show about a serial killer or serial killers per se, but it's about it's a show about people who fake daily interactions with other people to hide them their true selves their true nature uh, from everyone in in any capacity. And when we first meet Deb, uh, she's working vice.
0: She's dressed in, um, like, hooker clothes, basically. Um, except she has this weird, like, jersey thing on that seems to be there to strategically cover her ribcage um, to try and uh, draw the
1: eye away from quite how emaciated she is. Yeah, she hasn't had as many uh, Cuban sandwiches as Dexter. <laughs>
0: That's for sure. And then uh, we're introduced to LaGuerta. And, you know, we're basically uh, uh, introduced to her through Deb, who talks about how much she hates her. And Dexter says, you can learn something from LaGuerta about politics. Um, Deb's trying to get out of Vice and into Homicide, but it's sort of up to LaGuerta and... Uh, Dexter tells her to kind of go over her head and go to Captain Matthews because they're friends with the, uh, Captain Matthews and their father were friends. And Deb asks Dexter to use his murder scene hunches to come up with ideas to impress and figure out what's going on. And they go out and look at the first ice truck killing, which is um, this sort of prepared tableau of a person half wrapped in butcher paper, half not, um, with you know, the limbs kind of taken apart like, uh, doll parts.
2: And it's in a pool. Yeah,
0: it's at that the bottom of know. a dry, dead pool, dry pool.
1: Yeah, which also makes you wonder, like, um, why the placement there? I guess it was like, you know, is the killer trying to send a message? But to who? And, you know, like, the pool is drained, obviously, the the bodies are drained of blood, Um, so like you know is this killer just killing to kill or is this killer trying to send a message specifically to a specific community or to the police like it's, it's kind of interesting the way that they place this stuff I don't know if this was intentional in the writing or not but you know there's a lot of like little things you can connect that don't necessarily seem like they should make a lot of sense but then you can think about them and be like oh I wonder if that was intentional or not you know
0: It reminds me of Hannibal. Like, it's something that would happen on Hannibal. There'd be a body done up like this, and they'd go into, you know, profiling and tell you, like, what this means and why this person does these particular kinds of killings and how far along they are and all of that. And Dexter is a show that I really wanted to be kind of like that, even though it preceded Hannibal. But it never quite, it never quite stays there. It never quite uh, turns into a forensics type of show. Uh, those answers are always just kind of easy and done in the background.
2: Well, at this point, you, you don't really know that this killing is anything more than a one and done. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was specifically used to introduce us to Deb, LaGuerta, Angel, and Masuka. Angel and Masuka are in the pool with the body. and you know, they're so different in that first episode. Mm-hmm. Just so different, like from the way they act, the way they talk, to the way they dress. Yeah, it, it's so different later.
3: Yeah, they just really worked to establish the characters in a very basic way, and of course, it's the pilot, and that's what it's for. But it just seemed like it was just very, very flat introductions of, you know, here, here's this guy, he cracks jokes. Here's this guy, he's the serious cop. They they really blossomed into much more interesting characters. Well, Batista maybe not <laughs> Masuka. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, I think they, I think they were what I really liked about this pilot just how much information they put into this first episode you, you really get a good feel for a lot of what's going on in this first episode and um, the fact that batista is not developed uh, or masuka um, the fact that dokes is wearing a suit in one scene that doesn't kind of make make much sense um, they don't have the real Miami metro set yet so they're in kind of different. Different offices and things like that in this in this one. It's stuff that you never notice when you're watching the show from the beginning, uh, cold, because you're not. You don't get used to all that other stuff. You're not used to what you know Dexter's lab looks like or what Deb's desk is or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but the amount of information that they get across, um, setting up Dexter, setting up the. Um, the killer that they're going to be trying to figure out throughout the the season um, the fact that you know dexter's dexter's killing on one hand but he's also sort of trying to solve this uh trying to solve this murder a little bit on his own um, all that stuff gets set up in this first episode
1: yeah it's like a, this is the inciting incident for the show it, it's the fact that you know there's these murders that are happening which is like you said Dale it, it, you know it's it's not necessarily a forensic show but it's like um, it's so intriguing to this specific character because of what he does so this is sort of like a really inciting incident for him to get more invested into the things that he does uh, and then follow along with these other characters that he has to interact with on a, on a daily basis that he has to be fake with to some degree because of, of his job
0: yeah and it's it's interesting that his his first kind of puzzle murder mystery here is a bloodless body, right? Because he's a blood spatter analyst, so there's nothing for him to do here. He's he's out of his depth, and he's also really he's almost
3: jealous. He's almost jealous that the guy came up with him and yeah. came up with that idea, and he did not.
0: Absolutely. So um, they 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 see the body and all of that. Um, Then Dexter goes to work. He brings in donuts. That's kind of part of his cover that instead of having conversations with people or, you know, trying to have any kind of real relationships at work, he's just the guy that brings donuts every day. Um, Deb shows up and says that she's been put on the case, so she might have a chance of getting into homicide. And then Dexter goes to see Camille, the record supervisor, um, to get some information out on um, his next target. And uh, Camille, of course, is played by Margot Martindale, who was not a big name at the time. But now she's, I, I think there's like less than three shows that I'm watching right now that she hasn't been a part of in some way or another. She's just showing up on everything these days.
2: It's always interesting to see that happen. You you see this character or, or this person and you get used to them. You know, Margot Martindale was... Just launched a stardom after Justified, and then you go back and you watch something like this, and and you are like, "Oh my god!" You know what was she doing in there? How did I not know?
3: Yeah, yeah. Now she's on the Americans. Yeah, she really, uh, she really has moved up a little bit since she was manning a desk and eating donuts.
0: Yeah, well, and that's her, That's their. Th- that's the thing that's so funny in this one too is that, like, they waste her in this show. She's. Her character is she's a fat lady that likes donuts and food. That's it. That's all they give her to work with.
3: She grabbed a file, I think. She picked up a file. There you go. <laughs> I think like, she, did, she did that. Let's, let's not
0: take that away from her. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that's all funny. Um, yeah, I'm also watching Sneaky Pete right now on Amazon, and she's, like, the grandmother on that show. So.
3: She's everywhere.
0: Um, yeah, she is. Um, so they have a couple of these, uh, what I call Taco Bell Spanish conversations where, uh, it's partially in English, partially in Spanish. There's also a couple of conversations in this episode, like between LaGuerto and Batista that are completely in Spanish. And because they choose not to subtitle it, it's sort of like, I feel like that's something that they end up dropping, um fairly quickly uh, as they get into the season just because they can't do any plot development in there because, you know, a good chunk, I would say the majority of the audience for Dexter is not bilingual. Yeah, but
1: it should give them a reason to learn to speak Spanish if they want to know what the plot points are. <laughs> like, oh, I gotta, I gotta know what Angel's up to. I, I gotta it. start speaking Spanish. <laughs> That has to be the <laughs> dumbest person to learn to know. speak Spanish ever.
0: Or they just don't <laughs> know
3: what to say and throw in fake words, which I guess would be another tactic, you know? Because <laughs> it's
0: been long enough now that there's a wikia page for Dexter, and you can go and find all of those conversations translated yeah. out. See, you can see exactly <laughs> what all they said.
2: Fantastic.
0: Yeah. The, the one in episode one is when they're going into the briefing room. Um, LaGuerta asked Batista how his wife and daughter are doing, and he says, fine. And she says, take your hat off. And he says, excuse me. And that's the Yeah, that was totally
1: necessary for the development of the pilot episode. <laughs> like, sometimes I wonder yeah. what the writers are thinking. Like, are they just trying to fill airtime with some of those moments, you know? It, it's like... I, I, I feel like they really were going
0: for, you know, let's make this authentic Miami. Um But they were kind of choosing characters that that aren't, you know, like especially in this first episode. uh, If you if you watch this first episode, and I asked you who uh, Maria Laguerta is, you wouldn't be able to tell me because she's not, you know, these these characters aren't quite these side characters aren't quite as developed in here.
2: Well, I mean, at this point in the first episode the only interaction with LaGuerta we've had is a cringeworthy wink yes. at the crime uh-huh. scene which we
0: did not talk about which we'll have to come
2: we'll, back we'll to get eventually into it. yeah we'll get into it I have it gets, so much
3: to say <laughs>
0: <coughs> it grows from there right so uh. Uh, so yeah uh, Dokes shows up for the first time and talks to Dexter um, he says you give me the fucking creeps uh, and Dexter makes the, the the point of, you know, why in a police station is Dokes the only one who gets the creeps from me? Like, all of these people should be able to, to spot that there's something wrong. Um, it, is, it isn't as noticeable in this first episode, but it is something that, that will recur in season one. If you watch Dexter when he's at a crime scene, he's grinning ear to ear when he's doing... Like, blood spatter analysis or any of that kind of stuff. And it is just like, he can't help himself. Uh, He steps through Doakes' case and does a blood spatter analysis in this stark white crime scene. Now, this was something that I was hopeful would be an ongoing thing on the show. Kind of like uh, the way, like, especially early episodes of House they would talk about something medical and like the camera would shoot inside the body and show you this representation of a disease going on. Dexter walking through a blood spatter and showing how that informs what the weapon was, what the positions of the bodies were, all of that sort of thing. Um, it's great in this episode, and then they just kind of stop doing it. Um, Everything turns into you know, DNA sequences, like everything from that, everything after this to me seems like they just do a Google search or the equivalent of doing a Google search and they solve whatever crime is necessary to solve.
3: Yeah, they did. it's like they didn't want to invest in researching the science of it all and having to do the actual work so that somebody can point out how flawed it was. They're just like, let's just skip that part. We'll just start Googling. Well, CSI
2: already existed, so they were probably trying to set themselves apart.
0: I can see sure. that. That is true. I still kind of wanted a little bit more science in it, but, um, but that that was that was an expectation I had the first time that I watched it was that it was going to be a little bit more, uh, or kind of like psych. You know, I don't know if you watched that show, but. Um, He's just really perceptive and he picks up on all these extra things that people don't see and that kind of stuff's always cool. It always makes you feel smart to watch that kind of stuff as an audience um, so then um Dexter starts stalking uh the valet who he goes into he breaks into his house uh has some trouble with his dog, and then he finds some uh ads that the guy's running for a website that he started called. Scream, bitch, scream! Classy. Uh, yeah. And then we have a flashback where Harry and Dexter are talking about um, whether Dexter wants to kill people. And as a young child, it says he does want to kill people.
1: Do you think that the flashbacks really do service the story? I mean, is it necessary? Like, would it be something where he could just monologue about it, and we would? Or do you need to see him as a child with those interactions with?
3: I don't know that I feel they're necessary and maybe that's just because they're so poorly done but I just there has to be a better way to execute that story because I think the flashbacks just take away from it. It's the little kid and he's got his little mug of milk sitting on the boat like you know it's just, It just it just didn't work for me.
0: So my my thought behind those and why I think those are important um, is that we and, and, and I think something that they were conscious of very conscious of when they were writing the early episodes of the season, we don't know if we can trust Dexter yet right So things that Dexter tells us he's a serial killer. why should we trust him? Um, the flashback serves as a either this really happened and we can we can trust it or Dexter believes this happens so strongly that it's it's what he's operating against it's how he's how he how he sees the world. Um, the whole setup of Harry's code, which is done mostly in flashback in this season um, because he's not doing the conscious thing yet. Um, I, I think that's what that that serves, uh, those flashbacks. I, yeah, they could be done better, I think. Uh, but I think that's kind of the thing is that whether or not we have a trust... It, it, it's, it's telling us that we can trust Dexter because he is telling us the truth, and these flashbacks are backing up why he acts the way he acts and how deep-seated and long this has been a part of his life.
2: It's also a nod to the book without giving, without using the dark passenger, because in the book, a lot of these nods to Harry are conversations between Dexter and his dark passenger. Um, they cut that completely out of the show and replace it with James Remar, which is fine if you have James Remar. Use James Remar. I thought I thought the the flashbacks were fine. Uh, they they were harmless and and they set up they set up the idea behind the show, like who Dexter is. And how he became... How, how did he
0: develop?
1: Yeah, it's his history. Yeah, I get that. I get that for sure. I just... Um, the thing that kind of throws me off the most is seeing the evolution of who they cast as the kid to play the younger Dexters, and then just being, like, the placement of the moles on his
3: faces. <laughs> Maybe that's why Yeah, like
1: like, I'm almost <laughs> too distracted by the visualization of it to really let the information sink in. Like, I still get it, and I'm glad it's that the information is there to help me with the character development, but at the same time, there is something about the visualization of it where I'm just like, I don't know, that kid doesn't look like Dexter, <laughs> which is a stupid reason not to like it, but yeah.
3: No, I agree that it's, it's got to be in there somewhere, but I've, I'm with you, Zach. I just think the way they did it was just, something about it just didn't, it just seemed to step out of it. The performances just didn't do it for me, and the kids were distracting. They're just the exposition was so obvious. It seemed to be... A, there had to be a better way to write it, I guess.
0: Yeah, and it, and it might have just come down to, you know, getting the most out of 44 minutes. You know, there might not right. have been a, a shorter way to come up with that or to show that information. Um. So now we get to Rita. And um, first we get Dexter's... Uh, uh, insight into sex, which he refers to as undignified. But he thinks he's found the per- perfect girlfriend because she's, in a way, as damaged as he is. Um, we meet Rita, Astor, and Cody, uh, and uh, Rita is shell-shocked from the abuse. She's not interested in sex, really, and that's perfect for Dexter. Um, he's actually concerned that whenever uh, things start to get more physical between him and women that they can see through the fact that he's not a uh, he's not a normal guy, and so uh, he's still still trying to keep that relationship going with Rita.
2: I do want to point something out about this scene when they introduce Rita. It has Dexter's voiceover giving you a rundown of the just how horrific the abuse at uh, the hands of her ex-husband was. And while they do this, it zooms in on her door, and it opens up, and it's like something out of Little House on the Prairie, you know, there (laughs) she is, her hair is blowing in the wind, there's like a white light on her. It's an awesome scene.
1: Yeah, she wouldn't, uh, she doesn't appear to be damaged, she doesn't appear to have suffered much trauma based upon the first visualization we have of her, so... Uh, but I also feel like that's what's so great about her performance is that, um, is that she does sell it when she needs to sell it. I mean, not sell it, but, like, the actress sells it when she needs to sell it. But, like, that's an interesting choice. Based That's, that's a directorial choice, I feel like, to have that voiceover done while opening the door and being given, like, a ray of sunshine. And then really, though, it's this dark... Disgusting, awful things that have happened to her that really influences the way that she acts.
0: Yeah, I mean she's really she's really sweet and uh, but also a bit skittish and 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 mousy. Um, and they're explaining that Dexter's explanation helps you understand that you know it's not that she's a naive you know Pollyanna or something like that. It's more that she. Can only put herself out there so much right now. Yeah. He takes her on a date and they go to some sort of rave slash crab bashing party. I don't I don't know. I guess that's a thing in I Miami. I did not
3: know that was a thing.
0: So they're they're smashing the crabs and <laughs> dancing the raves. <laughs>
2: in like the the most <laughs> impressive way ever like they, they push their way through the, cr- the crowd and she gets to this bar and just starts whacking something with a hammer and you have <laughs> no idea what she's doing it just looks like oh god I and, still really have and, no
3: idea what she's doing <laughs>
2: and, and it's revealed that she's beating up a crab and you're just like ah. Oh.
1: Yeah you got to break in yeah, there. Yeah, I've been to a lot Why? of crab places and there's no there's no dance party music like that in most of the crab places that I go to. I mean the crab shack in Maryland is just it's just a crab shack, you
3: know. Do they have hammers?
1: They do have the hammers. The mallets actually is a part of it. That's a thing. Um okay. and that's a very much like a east uh, but that's a, I guess it's a east coast thing to some degree. Um, but like to do it in that sort of communal way, I don't know. It's just a lot of like that's just a lot of wasted crab. Like you're just smashing somebody <laughs>
0: somebody had a brilliant idea that, you know, we've got these crabs and that's great and we got these people that come in and hit them with hammers and that's even better. But the problem is that once all these people are here hitting crabs with hammers, it's so loud. If only we had something to drown out how loud those hammers were. I know. <laughs> Let's throw a rave on top of it. This is how dubstep
2: came to be.
3: <laughs> <laughs> nothing makes you want to dance like Smashing Crab.
2: Mm. <laughs> crab me. Also the club the club is the club from Night at the Roxbury. The- yeah. The inside of the club looks like the outside, and the outside of the club looks like the inside.
0: I'm just going to say, based on what everyone's hands are going to be like after smashing all that crab up, that this place should be called the wet nap. Nice. It's,
3: yeah, a murder hap- or body being found outside of this isn't even the weirdest thing about no. this Not even place. close. Didn't yeah. even
2: slow it down, either. <laughs> I think the police lights just enhance the party.
0: Yeah. And Dexter just kind of casually walks away from Rita and he's like, hang on a second, I'm gonna see if they need me. And it's another uh it's another bloodless ice truck body that he walks into.
1: Yeah, I love that he's like I they might need me like they like he's a all like he just happens to be at the right place at the right time all the time. <laughs> they might need me, you know, blood stuff. Like Yeah. He's real important in yeah. the um, in the Miami Metro
3: P D there's often <laughs> there are often
0: very bloody incidents that happen at the crab rave <laughs> uh, the wet nap is a pretty dangerous place it, the, exactly when
2: the beat drops and you're rolling <laughs> and you got a hammer you don't know what's
1: up as long as you don't reference the bloody crab in any way, I think it's like <laughs> that you give yourself some some you know some way to walk away from the bloody crab. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: um, he goes in, he goes and looks at it for a second. And he's like, "Hey, look, uh, it's another body." And then he takes her home, and they're sitting in the car, and he's trying to describe like what the cuts are like, and he kind of. Runs his hand over her inner thigh. Uh, she freaks out, runs away from the car, and all that kind of thing. And it takes him a second, and he's like, "Why did? She, why is she running away?" And then he says, "Wait a minute. Why did I touch her like that?"
3: Yeah, I'd run away too.
0: <sighs> so um, she just says she doesn't want to, and he he doesn't get the hint until after she's left the car that. She's seeing that as a advance, and that's not really what he was up to. He was, he's not trying to initiate it at all because that's not what he wants.
2: See, I thought that scene could actually have been interpreted as either because of how how his mannerisms were. Like he was clearly like into this as he's explaining it and he just reaches down and
0: goes for it but he's all about the dead body it's not he's a sexual into it thing because
3: of the yeah because of the body
0: yeah that's what he's excited about he's not he's not excited about her
2: <laughs> oh well it's so. almost
1: interesting too because it not that it, this was an intention at all but it, that could what if it, potentially that could be a turning point for him where he stops living by harry's code and turns into a, like a legit serial killer you know based upon his his study of other serial killers you know like we're trusting that he is a good serial killer to some degree because of the, what he's doing but at the same time like what what keeps that in check harry's code what happens if harry's code goes out the window and then he's and then he he's got rita you know i mean there's like a. And I, I'm not sure. I'm sure they never intended to go that direction, but like, there's always what ifs, you know, for the first for, uh, motives for these characters like this with these psychological things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Next, he's uh, looking at his new target again. Um, he goes to uh, the guy's website and finds uh, a tattoo that matches the guy, so he knows that the guy made this snuff film and. Um, he's still vetting him, but he's pretty sure that he's got a guy that needs to, needs to go that deserves to be killed. Um, uh, Harry talks about how before they took Dexter in, something happened to him that gives him the urge to kill, but they don't say what it is at this point. And then Harry says, we can't stop this, but we can channel it into something good. And he talks about people that get away at trial and people who deserve to die. Um, according to his morality, um, you know, even if the justice system fails them, um, and then we see Dexter setting up the uh, kill room for the guy.
1: Yeah, you got to cover up those tattoos if you're going to make videos of you killing people. Like that's that's like number one rule. <laughs> Amateur. Yeah. um, uh,
0: So uh, the kill room is a little different than the other ones in the series. He uses hefty bags on the walls. There's a rubber sheet on the bed. And he uses saran wrap on his face for some reason. Um, So there's that. Um, And then we go to Dexter and Deb having lunch. Uh, They are having this kind of funny back and forth. Dexter's kind of rubbing her about not having a boyfriend. She says, you sound like mom. Which... I think is kind of a mistake in a way in the mo- in the show that um, I feel like the writers weren't hadn't decided at this point if their if their mother was still alive or not. Um, but in the canon of the show, their mother dies of cancer before their father dies, and so she's long gone and wouldn't wouldn't have ever really been old enough to tell Deb like go have babies. <laughs>
2: Yeah one of, one of the first flashbacks uh, he talks about Dexter killing a dog, and Dexter mentions that the dog kept barking and Mom had been sick. Yeah. So you
0: know, way back when, like but that was when like they the youngest. Kids, that was like the youngest Dexter that we see in the flashbacks. That
2: she is she's bedridden
0: at this point. Yeah.
3: And so it's such a big myth.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if it was it was just a like, you sound like a mother. Like if it was just a, a misinterpreted line, uh, or if it was that they really didn't realize that, you know, it wouldn't make sense for Deb to have gotten grandchildren guilt from her mom, being that she died when Deb was a teenager.
3: Yeah, if she's encouraging the grandchildren to talk at, at a young age, we get a whole different set of issues we need to talk about with that family.
0: Yeah. That's that's bigger than a wet nap problem. Right. <laughs> um, so Deb starts talking about cell crystallization, and they start coming up with this theory for the refrigerated truck. Um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a brief scene where the guy he kills in the opening... Uh, his wife is at the police station crying and Dexter's kind of watching through the window and Doak sneaks up behind Dexter and is like, is that your thing psycho? You like it when they cry?
2: Uh (laughs) Doak's so over the top but he's (laughs) such a great character
3: He's a little too cartoonish in the pilot with that, that he's the bad, mean cop or angry cop. But, yeah, I mean, you still got to laugh. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's Samuel L. Jackson in the pilot. <laughs> yeah,
3: like, Samuel L. A- Jackson light, yeah. <laughs> well,
1: I think it's interesting, though. Like, yes, I agree that he is over the top and that has those moments. But he's the only guy that calls, like, really calls sh- things out. Like, you know, I mean, it, it, it's sort of those moments where, like, Dexter feels almost, I don't want to say invincible but to a degree Dexter's a really smart guy as a character and you know and he feels that sense of, of invincibility he's been killing for a while he clearly has a stack of blood plates that we know he's done a lot of kills and and yet there's this one guy that continuously calls out his behavior because it is weird that he smiles when he walks through a crime scene it is weird that he gets turned on by blood it is weird that he's standing there staring at a crying woman and just like it's not his place so i kind of applaud dokes for doing that for being like the straight man let's say and calling out dexter's odd behavior
0: Deb tries to talk about the refrigerated truck theory to uh, Laguerta at the briefing. Um, Laguerta belittles her a little bit and says, "I didn't recognize you with your clothes on." And then uh, Deb's delivery of the theory is an absolute train wreck, and she doesn't get permission to look into ice truck uh, ice truck thefts. Um,
2: tells her to keep talking to her hookers. Yes.
1: Like not just hookers, her hookers. Right. Well, she does, but she does say her girls, though. Like, there's a, there's a number of times that she says my my girls and this thing and that thing. And again, that's going back to Deb, you know, putting up that wall. But you know, she's hiding that that sensitivity, that compassion, that that heart inside her, of her. Um, and so, like, I mean, for Laguarda to say that, yeah, it's not. That's not something a, a you know a, a a higher ranking person should say to a lower ranking person in a way, but like Deb does refer to them as her girls, so she's got a she's got a soft spot for those hookers,
0: and she's trying to she's trying to keep them alive too because it's it's that community that's being murdered by the the ice truck killer. So yeah,
1: hookers are always the number one target for serial killers. I don't I don't know like it's weird. They're expendable. That's oh. why. <laughs>
0: No, I mean like I mean that's the, that's the reasoning <laughs> no, behind is that people don't miss them when they're gone. They're so red shirts.
1: Yeah.
2: So this this scene, uh, right after, Laguerta tears Deb down. It's a pretty good scene between a brother and a sister. I guess the best we're gonna get in the between Dexter and anybody else is uh, he. He kind of consoles her, tries to help her out, uh, and then Laguardia comes in and completely ruins it by trying to flirt with Dexter.
3: Yeah,
0: she asks him to come to her office in this really flirty way, and Deb's like, "Oh my god, are you boning her?"
2: No, and then and then Deb acts like she's gonna throw up and leaves. It's a great scene.
3: Yep. Other than LaGuardia's flirtation, because that's a terrible part of the whole episode. Worst part. I'd rather look at the bloodless body than see LaGuardia try to flirt with Dexter.
0: Yeah. Awful. Yeah. And there's more, so we'll get into it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but what's important <laughs> about this particular scene is that uh, Dexter wins... Um, against Dokes that his blood spatter is telling a different story than what Dokes' idea of the case is. And so Dokes has to go and uh, and rethink what he's doing and talk to some other people to try to solve his murder that he's working on. It also builds up some animosity for later storylines. You know, if sure. they decide
2: to go that way, obviously.
0: Um, then we uh, go back and we see the valet... Uh, the target guy stealing copper. Um, there's a picture of one of his victims down a hall and Dexter nails him with the M99 uh, syringe, knocks him out. And then we get the second kill of the episode. Dexter has the plastic wrap around his head. Um, I guess to cover his identity in case, what, the guy gets up and leaves? I don't know. Um, he also like does the Batman voice a little bit. He's kind of like, why would you do something? Like he just kinda weirder or, or almost like a Buffalo Bill style, you know, like, Now it's your turn to die, um, kind of voice going on. And then the valet like instantly admits to killing the girl in the snuff film, and then it the scene cuts directly to Dexter, like finishing up chopping the valet's body and putting it into bags. And as he's doing that, Rita calls him asking if he can come by, um, she, she really wants him to come by, she's very like adamant that he come by, and he says, well, I'm finishing up a little project, but I'll come by later. He goes outside, and in the parking lot, after he's done getting rid of the body, the refrigerator truck shows up and basically dares him to chase it. And he chases it, and the head that was missing from the second victim is thrown at his windshield which leads to an entire crime scene where everyone's standing around his car, making sure he's okay. He and LaGuerta are kind of sitting on the back of the ambulance talking about it, and Dexter jokes that the head was in the front seat so the guy could use the carpool lane. is suspicious because Deb's ice truck theory came so immediately true, and LaGuerta gets flirty with Dexter yet again and says, you should call me Maria, and starts rubbing on his forearm. So, Brooke, how do you feel about LaGuardia? Oh,
3: how do I feel about LaGuardia and her flirtation? I It is awful. had, Having watched the show from the beginning all the way through, I had completely blocked that that ever was a thing, and I wish I had not been reminded. It was just, it didn't fit. It made the character seem so flat and so cheap. Like, here she is, you know, this respected... Chief, and she's come so far. Lieutenant, and she's come so far, and yet she's gonna flirt with the underlings and be really unprofessional, and uh, it just, it just didn't fit. Didn't fit, and it was just gross and creepy. Because and she's really bad at it too. That's even worse.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like it demeans her character that she's doing that?
3: I do. I think it cheapens okay. that character. Yeah. I definitely think it's just such a cliche. That didn't need to be in there. Uh, there's a lot they can do with that character. They don't need to do something cheap like that. And honestly, she probably would flirt better than a 12 year old anyway. If if she really was, you know, a character who would be flirty like that, she would do better than she did. Come on, awful. Yeah. Well,
0: to me, where it, where it doesn't make any sense is that um, there's there's reasons why she would be a flirt. And we see that she's like this political animal and she kind of mm-hmm. she's cutthroat to get what she wants. Right. But there's no there's no motive behind flirting with Dexter. There's there's no ulterior motive. So it doesn't make any sense to me because she's I don't get the feeling that she's trying to have an actual relationship with Dexter. It's like she wants to get special treatment from him. But he's her subordinate anyway, so she, he should just do whatever she tells him to do.
3: Right. There's no purpose. To, I could certainly see her flirting to try to get her way because that's very much in yeah. line with who she is.
0: Or like if she was flirting with Captain Matthews, absolutely understand why that's happening.
3: Right, right. You know, they, they had
2: a good opportunity here to set her up as a independent female that, you know, paid her dues and got to where she got because she's good. And the the flirting and, and the allusions to her being this political force almost kind of makes it seem like she slept her way to the top. And... I don't know if that's how they wanted it to come off, but that's how it came off to me, and it made me not like the character.
0: Well, I I think that part of it's intentional. I do think that she's supposed to be a character that you don't like, a character that you see as being um, very superficial and um, upwardly mobile at anyone's expense and all of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, like, specifically with Dexter there's nothing that Dexter can do for her that she can't already get from him by being his boss and so the flirtation does not make sense to me
2: I I just want to point out that it is even more heavy handed and juvenile in the books (laughs) yeah yeah,
0: and and maybe in the books it makes more sense to be uh, for it to be something that that Deb and Dexter that, that divides them because she's so mean to Deb and she's so nice to Dexter. So then he finally gets to Rita's. It's morning, um, Rita's at her wit's end. She thinks that he's rejected her and um, he shows up and he's like, no, you know, there's a, cl- a crime scene, a bunch of stuff that was going on. Um, she tells him she doesn't want to lose him and uh, drops her rope and they have this awkward, thanks, you're welcome conversation. And Rita takes Dexter to the couch, but the phone rings, um, saving him from actually consummating their relationship, and uh, it's Cody crying, and Rita has to go get him. And Rita says, tell me we're okay. And Dexter says, more then, go be a good mom. Um, and he's still worried that if he doesn't keep a lid on the the sex, that it's going to break them up, because he, he he's not there...
1: Um, emotionally, for that stuff. Yeah, that's a good way to, like, you know, bring him back. I, I was actually going to mention that um, a lot of this stuff that just happened happens super fast. Like, so much of the show is kind of at a slower pace, or we we take time to explain things, and then all of a sudden it's like bam, 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 bam. It's like Dexter hits this spell of stuff that's going on within like a mean, what is not even 12 hour period, right? Like it's super fast. And yeah. then he shows up and so like it's you know, this living these multiple lives, it's like yes, the, the sex thing is one thing, but also you know, he's, he's, he's living this life if he just killed a dude, he's now hunting slash being hunted by a serial killer, he's dealing with his sister, the Miami police force, and his his cat or his um, boss hitting on him, and now his girlfriend wants to have sex with him. I mean, it's just like a slew of things that are going on so quickly that uh, you know it's like I don't know, I don't know. Like for the character that's got to be just hard to juggle, and then you know at least it, it gives him a sense of like breath when he goes to Rita's. So even the sex thing being a thing, it's almost like he has a chance to breathe. Uh, outside of all the other stuff that's going on around him. Yeah, Reed is a very positive influence on him. Um, it gives
0: him a bit of structure, um, him spending time with the kids and all of that. But it also gives him, you know, he maintains his freedom to be out at all hours of the night hunting down murderers or killing people or doing whatever he needs to do. So its it's a very good cover for him. Um, I think all of that stuff kind of happening toward the end of the episode, like you could say that each one of those little pieces is a cliffhanger of something that you might want to see what happens next. And so maybe they're drawing in different audiences or different people with different parts of that story um, before we get to the main cliffhanger when he goes home and um, realizes that the serial killer absolutely knows who he is and has left a doll's head and cut up doll body parts or disconnected doll body parts in his fridge. Um, And he's not at all upset about that. In fact, he's like, yeah, I kind of do want to play with this guy.
3: Yeah, I think that's even what he says, right? You know, he thinks I want to play and I do.
0: Yeah, I really do.
3: Well, and
2: that kind of raises a bunch of questions from earlier in the episode. Like all these... All these things seem to happen around Dexter that tie to the Ice Truck Killer. And it makes you wonder, does the Ice Truck Killer discover who he is shortly after that chase? Or, or did he know, even back then, like who Dexter was? Uh, was he aiming these at Dexter? Because bodies just seem to appear around Dexter. Things happen around Dexter.
0: Yeah, it makes you it 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 puts you into that that final cliffhanger note is like, oh, they're not going to spend half the season trying to figure out whether this guy knows who Dexter is. They're going to they're coming right out and saying it, and now he has a uh, he has a set opponent, a set you know a set person in this game that he's playing. So yeah, that season one episode one is um, directed by Michael Cuesta, who. Uh, also did work on Six Feet Under. Uh, He did five episodes of Dexter. They're all in season one, um, and that includes the first three. And then um, he went on to do eight episodes of Homeland, including its pilot, in 2011. James Manos Jr. wrote the teleplay. He's also the creator of Dexter. He previously wrote College, which is a really great episode of The Sopranos. Um, And he created... He has a created by credit on every episode of Dexter, but uh, this episode is the only one that he actually wrote. Best line of the episode, I gave to Dokes for You Give Me the Fucking Creeps. I think that's a pretty tough one to beat, unless somebody else has an idea. Um, the worst line of the episode, just because I didn't... Uh, I, I, I'm not a fan of their having whole conversations in Spanish that I don't understand... <laughs> Um, or that the audience may not understand. So I gave it to Disculpe from Angel, um, saying, "Excuse me for wearing his hat."
2: This one I have to disagree. <laughs> like the dad joke that Dexter has about the carpool lane—worst line. So. Bad. Oh yeah,
1: when he's talking to Laguarta, and he's like, or maybe they're using it as a head for the carpool lane or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That's why it was already in the front seat. Ugh. Yeah. It's bad. And in performance of the episode, um, we we talked about this a little bit before. Um, let's talk about Julie Benz. She just killed it. Like, every
2: scene she was in, she owned. Um, when she's sitting there with Dexter, and, and they're trying to be intimate, and... You can tell just how damaged she is by her mannerisms. She just did an amazing job. Oh, Rita.
3: No, I think that the the thing that was so good about her performance is that even without Dexter explaining her history, she conveyed it very well. Even if we took away him saying why she's so damaged, you could sense that she was damaged.
0: Yeah, I agree. So she's got our our best performance. Um, And that that'll do it for uh season one episode one um thanks guys for joining me and uh we'll be back with the next episode very soon